Welcome to the A Better Way to Farm podcast, where we share serious secrets about profitable farming. We appreciate you taking the time to join us, and we hope that you'll love the knowledge we share not only with you today, but also in future episodes. So let's get right into it. Hello guys, this is Kayla Livesey with A Better Way to Farm, and I'm going to be your host today as we interview Rod Livesey. Now I'm kind of coming at this with a unique perspective because growing up with him as my dad, I got to learn a lot of lessons from him, but I never really knew the meaning behind them or where they came from. So you're going to learn along with me today as we go through some of the stuff that I heard growing up and find out the stories behind that. How are you, Dad? I'm great, and it's an honor to get to do this, and it's really an honor to get to do it with you, Kayla. Thank you. Absolutely. So I'm just going to get right into it because you sure had a lot of sayings and lessons that I'd like to go through today. So starting pretty early, one of the first ones I remember is you would always say never let school get in the way of your education when you were bringing us kids to go on trips and plant test plots and stuff like that. So how did you come to realize that? Well, as we go through these, my goal is to kind of give the background story on each one of them, if you will. And that one came for my whole life. I think I bought my first study, my first class in uh, in positive thinking when I was about 17 years old. There used to be something called Success Motivation Institute, and I bought their package. And I must confess, Kayla, I didn't, I didn't go through it as I should have, and therefore I didn't get the results that I should have. But it started me on a quest, on a journey for personal development and self-improvement. And one of the guys that I used to listen to, still listen to a lot, and like to read his books is an author and a speaker named Chris Widener. And the, the short version of Chris's story is that his dad passed away, and his dad was very successful, but he didn't have any life insurance. And so things were pretty tough after his dad passed away. But his mom was bound and determined to give Chris a good upbringing. And so they would go take a lot of trips because she wanted him to experience life. She wanted him to go to every state capital. She wanted him to see these things. And one of the lines in that book that stuck with me was, never let school get in the way of your education. And we have implemented that with you kids because I always felt like if I could take you somewhere and and you actually know you you and all all your siblings have met Chris Widener in person. And so if I can get the opportunity for you to meet a a Chris Widener or a Jim Rohn, or to go see the Mayan ruins rather than study the Mayan ruins, I always took advantage of that. And yeah, you guys have missed quite a bit of school, but the fact of the matter is, I believe that your education has been as much out of school or maybe even more out of school than it has been in. And so that's the story behind that. And I want to encourage people that we believe that as a core value, that we're not going to let attending school get in the way of the education of our children. Absolutely. And I think Looking back, all of us kids can agree that those memories are stuck with us a lot more than that day of fifth grade math class did. So we were really lucky that uh, you and mom decided to take that approach with us. When we were in school, um, you have those, you know, fights on the playground and that tough stuff. And you always taught us growing up that it's never wrong to do the right thing. And I've heard you say that often, and I know that you've said it in some lives for some better way to farm stuff. So how did you come to that? That was just my own deal. That one's not stolen. I, uh, I I figured out that in life, oftentimes we create our own bad luck. And we create our bad luck because we do the wrong thing now or we take a shortcut. Shortcuts always bite us. You know, I, I always refer to them as long cuts because that's what they end up being. And so I coined that phrase, it's never wrong to do the right thing. 
And it's actually written on my desk pad as a constant reminder because the human nature is to take the shortcut, to take the easy way, to not be willing to pay the price. And I want to make sure that I instill that value in you kids because I want you to, to every day at the end of the day, think about what we did. And, and when given the choice for that brief moment that should flash through our minds, it's never wrong to do the right thing. And it just saves us a lot of trouble down the road. Absolutely. And sometimes in doing that right thing, we kind of come about it all wrong. And you said, make a big, beautiful mess. And you always instilled that into us. And I can remember um, going to do stuff on the farm or saying, hey, dad, I want to try this. And you would just say, okay, make a big, beautiful mess. And um, that's something that's always meant a lot to me. So how did that start meaning a lot to you? Um, actually, that came to me when I was 22 years old. I had the honor of listening to a great speaker. His name was Jerry Herrera. And Jerry had a, a multi-level business, and it was growing really fast. And therefore, when it grows fast, sometimes you create some problems. And you, you know, sometimes corporate will call you and say, hey, your people are doing this wrong, and, and you're making more mistakes than anybody else. And Jerry's point was, if I've got the most growth and I have the most new people, I'm going to have the most messes because they're not trained and we're going to work through that. And so he would, he, he just talked about, don't worry about it. Just go make a big, beautiful mess. And I'm going to tie this one into one sis called fire aim ready because I know a lot of people and some of you listening to this, you may be that individual, but there are certain people who are just stuck on their deal is they want to do ready aim fire. And actually I know people who do ready, 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 and they never aim and they never fire. And and I've subscribed to the theory that I don't care, do something even if it's wrong. You do something even if it's wrong because we can, a lot of times we can screw it up and fix it up and have it done before the person who's trying to get ready ever gets ready. And so we're, are we going to create some messes? Absolutely. Are we going to create some uncomfortableness? Absolutely. But if we are doing it with the attitude of it's never wrong to do the right thing and our heart is that we're trying to do the right thing, then that's okay. We're going to be able to, to, to do that and we're going to, we're going to fire and then we're going to figure out what we did. We're going to adjust and we're going to go back and make it happen. And it was great growing up knowing that you can make a mistake and it was okay because we didn't have to be perfect until you were. <laughs> and that meant a lot. But on the other side of the coin, we knew that, um, you know, making a big, beautiful mess wasn't an excuse to make the same mistake twice. So how do you balance that between making a big, beautiful mess, but watching those so it doesn't happen again? Well, make a big, beautiful mess came from Jerry Herrera. Again, you can't make the same mistake twice actually came. We had a young man who was Karen's classmate and he worked for us on the farm. And, uh, his story was kind of an interesting story, but the short version was like a lot of 14 or 15 year olds. He didn't have a great self image and he was very nervous. And I'll never forget one time he cracked the hood on our riding lawnmower, but he came to me immediately and he was almost in tears and I respected him so much because he came to me and I know he thought I was going to yell at him. And I just looked at him and I said, Hey, here's the deal. Thank you for telling me. I appreciate your honesty. And I always want you to, but you can, at this place, when you're working here, you can make any mistake one time. Now, you don't get to make the same mistake twice because then that's planning on it or that's just stupidity and we don't do that. But you get to make any mistake once. Now, we got to find new and exciting ways to make mistakes. And we're pretty good at that. But the fact is, you can make any mistake once. And you're right, sis. I, I firmly subscribe to the theory. I, I deal with people at our home office and 
if they biff something, I always let them off the hook with this. When I'm perfect, I'll expect you to be perfect also. You look pretty safe today, and I'm guessing you'll be pretty safe tomorrow. <laughs> because the fact of the matter is, I cannot expect perfection out of people when I can't be perfect myself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of switching gears, uh, you and mom and Karen, I've heard her say a lot too, if it's a good idea today, it'll be a good idea tomorrow. And I know that that has been around in our family for a while, and that's something that's kind of been passed down. Was there a certain moment where that lesson really drove home for you? Um, where it actually came from was your oldest brother was looking for a vehicle. And you know, sometimes when we go car shopping, the salesman wants you to believe that you got to take advantage of this deal. You got to do it right now, right here. And in life, there are business opportunities that sometimes you need to act on. But 99% of life, if we would apply this, it would work. Kurt was looking at a vehicle and they had him all jacked up and thought he really wanted to get that right now. And so what I've tried to instill in you guys if it's a good idea today, it'll be a good idea in 24 hours or 72 hours. Go home and think about it. In other words, don't act impulsively because impulsive acts are kind of like shortcuts. Most of the time, they bite us. And when we fools rush in, where people who think dare not tread, where angels do not tread. And so, you know, we want to make sure that we're thinking about this and not being the fool that rushes in. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of um, switching gears. You and mom detasseled for quite some time, that's correct, and ran a detasseling crew? Yep. And I know if anyone that's listening has detasseled, they know about how much fun that is. And I know that you guys kind of took the philosophy, eat when you can, sleep when you can. And we kind of joked about that growing up when we were putting in hard days, like I know a lot of our uh, listeners do. But on the same side of that, I've also heard you say several times, I'll sleep when I'm dead. And so I just think it's funny that the the two of those are some of your favorite sayings. How do you put the two of those together? Well, first of all, we had subscribed to that theory of eat when you can, sleep when you can our whole life. But where the, where the phrase came from, I'll never forget. Uh, someone asked Kurt. Kurt would have been about 17 years old. And we were at that time doing some roofing in the industrial roofing business. And we were putting out these test plots. And someone said, what's the secret to being able to run with your dad? And Kurt was eating a cheeseburger, and it was lunch, and he was eating his lunch about 6.30 at night. And he just looked up, and he said, you eat when you can, and you sleep when you can, because you <laughs> never know when that opportunity is going to come again. And so we subscribe to that. And I guess there are a lot of people in this day and age that don't like the idea of I'll sleep when I'm dead. But my point with that, you know, there's a bunch of speakers out there, and, and you'll listen to people, and they'll tell you, slow down, take it easy, don't work so hard. Don't work at a hard pace. Folks, 99% of America does not need to be told to slow down. You know, they're powering out a 40-hour week. Well, no, actually, they're getting paid for 40 hours, and they're putting in about 22. The rest of the time, they're talking to their coworkers. They're working on their phone. They're checking their personal email, and that is not the secret to success. And I know the majority of our people are in ag, and you guys get that. I mean, yeah, you're checking your phone while you're putting in your 21 hours, you know, I, it was funny. Last night I went to dinner with some guys and actually one of Sheila's cousins, Ben, and Ben was talking about the people that think, you know, he was with someone and the guy was whining, oh, I put in 50 hours last week. And Ben, I said, what'd you say to him? And Ben said, I looked at him and said, what did you do on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? You know, Ben has his own dirt working business. He's really successful and, you know, and he puts in a lot of hours. But the thing is, I, I don't think that we should jeopardize our health. 
Okay. But I think everything has a season, Kayla. And sometimes the season is planting or harvest. And in planting season, we have to get by on less sleep and harvest season. And whether we're talking about a corn crop or just life, and it's a figurative thing, sometimes in my meeting season, my my planting season actually is in the winter, as you know, and we do a lot of meetings and drive a lot of miles and we don't get a lot of sleep, you know, and then our harvest season tends to come immediately after that because that's when we, you know, the, the most of the decisions are made to buy in agriculture. And so those are really long days. And I think if sometimes in America, if we get a little less concerned about taking it easy, you know, I, <laughs> I look in the Bible and it doesn't say take it easy in there any place. It doesn't say, hey, a 40-hour week is great and 32 is better. I just don't think that's realistic if we're really motivated and we want to accomplish something. Yeah, absolutely. And you and mom definitely taught hard work to all of us kids by modeling it yourself. And um, I consider myself blessed enough that what we were doing, I didn't consider work because we were all doing it together and we had fun. But you definitely instilled that work ethic into us and that passion and that motivation to go out and create a change into the world. And we were working with you guys and you would tell us to run into the fire. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Absolutely. This has no story behind it. It's just an observation. Again, it's it's my own. In life, when we encounter difficulties, when something goes wrong, the, the human nature is to run away. We have people on our team who do a lot of commercial roofing. If someone calls and says they have a, a leak, some people want to avoid that and they don't want to deal with it. Well, the answer is to go right now, show the customer that you care, and deal with it. You know, sometimes in farming, we get a relationship that's not going right with a landlord or an employee. And somehow we think if we ignore it, it will go away. It will never go away. It will only get bigger. It will only get worse. And so what I've tried to teach you kids and the people on our team is that the instant you hear about that problem, you run into it. I'll, I'll give you a specific example. It was the first time I really embraced this. We had an individual down in Oklahoma called. He was really upset. His corn had a problem, a really bad problem. And he was convinced that our starter, starter fertilizer screwed up his corn. And he was really angry. And it was a huge, huge deal because it was several acres. And he was really upset. And he actually called corporate and they called me and I said, I'll go take care of this myself. I will run into it. So I hopped in my truck in about 30 minutes. I packed and left and I drove nine hours one way and we got down there and I worked, I, I walked through his cornfield. I just said, Hey, you know, show me where it is. Let's go talk about it. Let's, let's go take a look. Now he was a dealer. He was an actual seed corn dealer. So we walked out through there and Kayla, I started picking up all the plants that looked really bad, really bad. And we got all done. I had about 50 plants and I never said a word. And I know he was thinking, you know, he was looking for something profound. And I'll never forget, I walked up and I laid him on his tailgate. And I said, Mr. Farmer, you're also a seed dealer. He said, yep. I said, if I was one of your growers and I was mad at you about your seed and I brought you these 40 or 50 plants, what would you say? And he looked at me and he got this real bad look on his face. <laughs> and he said, I'd say this was chemical carryover. And I said, absolutely, that's what this is. It's chemical carryover. Now, had I not went, he was going to be convinced that this was what our fertilizer did. He was going to be convinced that he should sue us because we did something wrong. In reality, what I helped him do was to come to the right conclusion. I didn't argue with him. I just ran into the fire and we put the fire out. 
a lot of times you can put out a small fire, but you can't put out a big one. So we try to put them out when they're little. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it's crazy how so many of these tie together because I really feel like that's connected to always doing the right thing. Um, you said that you helped him come to that conclusion by working through it together. And that kind of ties into another thing that we heard growing up. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. And that would be this, ask the right question. We learned this from a doctor and I'm not going to give you the whole story behind it, but it was part of Karen's journey. And the, the doctor actually saved Karen's life because he knew how to ask the right questions. And I, I remember I, I asked him a question. He goes, well, the answer is this, but you're not asking the right question, Rod. And he was pretty adamant about it. He said, the right question is, why is, why does she have a, I asked why does she have a limp? And he said, because her leg is shorter, but you asked the wrong question. The right question is, why is her leg shorter? And that single decision by that doctor, uh, Dr. Stephen Sparks, saved Karen's life because had he not done what he did, we would have been in a lot of trouble. And I embraced that from that moment on, just like when I was talking to the grower, I just had to ask the right question. I could have argued with him. I could have said this is chemical damage. But by asking the right question, I said, Mr. Farmer, if I brought these to you, what would you say? And he'd say it was chemical carryover. He drew his own his own conclusion. And I'm going to add something to this. Your sister, Karen, often will say, hey, uh, when I ask you a question, I normally know the answer. Don't try and juke me, okay? And so yeah. I knew the answer, but I had I made Lance say the answer so that he could come to the right conclusion. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of Karen, something that um, I've heard her say a lot into how she has um, been able to buy a farm and start her own cattle herd and some things like that is a saying that I know came from you. And it goes to say, work like it does depends on me, but pray like it depends on God. And I think that is so profound and applies to so many areas of life. Now, did she get that from you or how did that start? That's actually a colloquialism that goes way back. I don't know. I can't give credit to whoever said that first, but I can tell you the story that really drove it home for me was this. And the story is that a pastor went to this lady's house and she was out back. And so he walked around the back of the house to visit with her. And she had this beautiful flower garden. And of course, he immediately jumps on her and he says, well, you know, this is a beautiful flower garden that God gave you. And she turned to him and said, Pastor, you should have seen it, though, when God had it all to himself. Yep. You know, and and the point was she had to do the work to keep the weeds out and make it go. Yes, God gave her a beautiful garden, but yes, she had to do it. And that really drove this home that we have to, you know, God will provide things. And that is our job. We have to work like it's just on us. And we have to pray like it's just on him because we do totally rely on him. That's all that we have. But it takes that combination, in our opinion, in order to build anything of lasting value. Absolutely. And that's not a free pass to, you know, forego what you have to do. In the kind of religion portion, you raised all of us kids in church. And, um, you know, in Bible study, we studied the Ten Commandments and vacation Bible school and all that kind of stuff. But you always have said that there's an 11th commandment. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Actually, what I say is, if there was 11th commandment, <laughs> and I wrote it, this is what it would say. It would say, thou shalt not kid thyself. And I've seen this in so many fronts. I, I coach Little League, Kayla, as you know, for yep. years and years and years. And I, I saw people who were other coaches or even parents who were, they couldn't be realistic with themselves about their kid. I'll never forget, I took a call one night and this, this girl's dad was just livid. You know, well, why is your kid pitching and, and my kid doesn't start? 
And I said, because my kid can throw a strike. Well, why doesn't my kid play more? I said, first of all, have you ever played catch with her? No. I said, she can't catch. She can't run. She can't (laughs) hit. And she can't throw. Those are kind of important things for a starter on a baseball team. Yep. And so, and I look at it and it it is, it's more to do not even just with our kids, but it has to do with, you know, we get to kidding ourselves. We say stupid things like, well, I'm pretty good at what I do with the implication being, I don't need to get better. Well, we always need to get better. You know, God wants to call us out to be the best that we can to serve him and be the best servants we can. We got to get better. And so in every area of our life, we need to stop and say, are we kidding ourselves? And then sometimes we hang out with a whole group of people that all kid themselves too. And then we get to telling each other how good we are. And the reality is we're not that good. You know, we don't have the farm average that we want. We don't have the business that we want. We're not that good at sales. We're not that good at whatever. And we have to work hard to get better. And so I believe strongly if I wrote the 11th commandment, it would be (laughs) thou shalt not kid thyself. Absolutely. Kind of talking about that and kind of learning some perspective and being honest Experience is what you get when you, uh, you know, you know the one I'm talking about. <laughs> this came from your mom and I give Sheila total credit for this. She always said that experience is what you get when you get what you didn't want. And wisdom is learning from someone else's experience. The <laughs> idea being, you know, sometimes we have to go get some experience. We're going to try something new and that goes back that all these tie in together. Sis, it ties in with, Fire aim ready. Sometimes when you use fire aim ready, we get what we didn't want and we get experience and wisdom. There's no reason, you know, as we work in our business and I train new people, I just spoke yesterday and I was adamant about don't try and change the system that works. If you have an idea, come, let's talk about it, but don't fight the system. That's like standing on the beach when there's a tidal wave coming and thinking somehow you're going to fight it. No, you're just going to get swamped. And in this, in, in, in life, it's okay to get some experience, and sometimes that's all we can do. But it's much wiser to learn from someone else's mistakes. There's no reason. That goes back to the other thing I said. Let's find new and exciting ways to screw it up. <laughs> let's not replicate someone else's mistakes. Let's make some new ones, okay? Yeah, absolutely. And anytime you and mom were working together and you were working on something, whether um, you know, maybe I had been a little sassier than I needed to and mom and I had had some words or you had a client call and um, express some unsatisfaction. You always said solve it by sundown. And I've never, um, I can never remember a situation when that didn't happen. Can you give an example of a time that you role modeled that for us kids? Well, yeah, let me say this. That's the other thing that's written down on my desk pad. I have two of them. It's never wrong to do the right thing and solve it by sundown, which ties in with run into the fire. In the Bible, it says, do not let the sun set on your problems. You know, and actually, maybe it's on your arguments. The point being, no husband and wife should go to bed mad at each other. They should talk it out. There's no reason to let that fester overnight. And, And this solve it by sundown, it actually has to do with relationships, And this goes back to that deal of not letting it fester because if you don't run into the fire, if you don't take it on right now, I had a conversation yesterday with one of our people. I love them very much. And we had to have one of those hard conversations where we had to talk about some things that they come to us and said, what do we got to do to move to the next level? And I was very honest and forthright. And I said, here's a couple, three things that I believe are holding you back. And it wasn't fun, but we solved it by sundown because we took those head on and afterwards they thanked us and I know they're going to make changes and I know it's going to change how they, they do things. And so I just want to encourage everybody listening to this that when that problem breaks, 
sometimes we want to say, we'll think about it, which is really code for what, what we're really saying is we're going to stall this off. We're going to procrastinate. Mm-hmm. Yep. And all that does is, and, and then assumptions come into this. And, and, and as humans, we tend to assume the worst things about other people. It's one of the reasons I'm not super fond of texting because I can't put voice inflection in a text and they cannot hear my voice inflections. And so it, it comes back to that, you know, you've heard the old line and one of them says, it's the same words. Let's eat grandma. Well, that doesn't sound very good and the implications aren't very good. But if you say, let's eat grandma and put the comma in there, it totally changes the <laughs> meaning. And yeah. so we want to not let that, we don't want to use a text to try and solve these problems. We want to run into the fire. We want to call them or better yet, see them face to face so that it doesn't get out of hand and assumptions don't go crazy, but that we can take care of it right now. Absolutely. And I love that you brought up assumptions because that's another point I want to touch on. I can remember uh, being little and, you know, friend relationships were, you know, the most important thing. And I had a friend who, long story short, was having a birthday party and I didn't get invited. And I came home and told mom all about it, how she hated me and it was horrible and she wasn't my best friend and I just didn't know what happened anymore. And mom said, Kayla, don't assume intentions. And over over the time as the problems maybe got a little bit more serious than my second grade birthday party at the YMCA, um, she's continued to say that. And that has been huge for me because most times, like you said, building the relationship when something goes wrong and doing the right thing, you'll figure out what actually happened. And so that's another lesson that I was really um, glad that you and mom taught from a young age. You also said... An apple a day keeps the doctor away, but 30 apples on the first of the month makes you sick. And I think that's an interesting end to that common saying that we've all heard. How did you come to realize that? Well, we actually, our, t- our company markets a sugar product. And where it came from was that someone had bought a competitor's sugar and the guy selling it didn't know what he was doing. And he convinced the, the farmer to put on like a gallon to the acre, which was way too much. And it, it hurt the corn crop really bad. And so I coined that phrase off of that. But basically what it's saying is there are all kinds of things that are a really good idea in moderation. Okay. You know, a pint of our sugar is a great idea. A gallon of our sugar is a terrible idea. And it is true. If you eat an apple a day, it's healthy and it's great. And if you eat 31 apples on the first day of the month, you're going to have a really bad bellyache. And oftentimes in life, you know, it's great to go out and eat a steak and have a nice meal. It's probably not a great idea to eat a really big meal every day. Yep. And not to eat three big meals every day. You know, I did that and I got fairly heavy. And then we <laughs> had to make some adjustments and, and figure out how to lose that 77 pounds that we didn't need. Yep, absolutely. In the food track, um, I can remember one of uh, our team members came to you one evening while we were at a meeting and they were really, really upset because a different person on our team had started working with a client that they had been in touch with. And they were upset to the point where they were um, saying that maybe working with us wasn't for them anymore and they were going to quit over it. And I had the opportunity of being there when you had this conversation. And it was such a learning moment for me because I can remember for 20 minutes they talked and talked. And then you waited for them to get done. You didn't interrupt them. And then so simply you said, just go make another pie. 
And I don't think that was quite the answer that they wanted to their problems. But by the end of that conversation, you guys had really come to an understanding. And I know that what it was a learning moment for them as well. Can you elaborate what you told them after you said to make another pie? Absolutely. There are two worldviews, sis. One of the worldviews is this, that there's just scarcity. The whole deal is based on scarcity. One of our political parties works along this line, that there's <laughs> just this tremendous scarcity. And if you have something, I have to take it from you because there's only a certain amount. But that's not what our nation is founded on. What makes our nation great is we believe we have unlimited resources, unlimited opportunity, unlimited abilities. For that individual, uh, just to clarify, one client chose to work with a different salesman, so to speak. And you always have to do what's right for the client. They just had a better relationship. They knew this other person better. And it is hard when you lose that sale or you you lose that piece of farm ground to someone else and you don't get to rent it. But the fact of the matter is, we believe in this. One worldview says there is one pie. And Kayla, if you eat a piece of pie, that means I can't have a piece of pie. And if you and seven of your friends eat the whole pie, I don't get any pie at all. The other worldview says, so what? We got flour, we got peach filling, we can make a crust, and we got an oven. Let's just make another pie. So I don't have to begrudge you eating that piece of pie. I don't have to begrudge that client choosing to work with someone else because I'll just go get another client. And if we can keep this perspective that it isn't, it doesn't have to be a competition and hateful that we just keep this perspective that we're just going to go make another pie. It makes all of life a lot simpler. Yeah, absolutely. When I'd be hanging out with friends and I know it was the same way for my siblings, they would say, oh, I have to be home at such and such time, or, oh, yeah, well, I won't be able to call you then because my parents take my phone, or a lot of little life rules like that. And I know it was always interesting to hear that as kids because you and mom raised us with one rule. And when we would say that to people, they would they wouldn't believe us, just being completely honest. And your rule for all of us kids growing up was don't do anything stupid. And I feel like that applies to all of life. Um, how did you decide to take that route in parenting? And are you guys glad that that was the philosophy that you took? I am absolutely glad because the deal is, to me, it looks like in life, we want to make a rule for everything. And pretty soon we're living like the Jews lived before Jesus came. And, you know, basically that was Jesus' deal. Don't do anything stupid. Uh, you know, if you make a mistake, you can repent and be forgiven under Jewish law. I would have been terrible at that, sis, because, <laughs> you know, there was a rule for everything and you can't remember all the rules. And so I looked at that and our deal with, I mean, from day one, when you're, you know, your brother's the oldest and, and our deal was, we always said it this way, don't draw very many lines in the sand, but if I draw the line, you can't cross it. Yep. Okay. Because if I draw a lot of lines and you step over it and then you step over it, pretty soon the rules are ineffective anyway. And this actually came about, we, we put in a swimming pool, as you know, and I had a lot of friends that are all freaked out. What are you going to do with the kids? Blah, blah, blah. Well, you need to hang up a bunch of rules. You know, they wanted me to put up a sign with, with rules around the swimming pool. And I said, we have one rule at our swimming pool. Don't be stupid. <laughs> you know, that pretty much sums it up. If I see you being stupid, I'm going to yell at you. That's how it works. And so we just felt like rather than having a bazillion rules, we would just have one. And, and it made you guys, you guys started drawing your own conclusions at a very early age and it made you much more responsible. It made you much more mature than if I have this rule-oriented society, which basically a rule-oriented society says, I don't trust you. I think you're too dumb to do the right thing. Yep. So I'm going to tell you what the right thing is. You know, you're too dumb to know what you can say and can't say. So we're going to do away with free speech. 
I think that, that that's not a direction we want to go. And so we've lived our whole life with that and are very glad that we did. Absolutely. I had mentioned earlier that even mom role modeled hard work and you taught hard work and you instilled that ethic in us. Um, but I can also remember times where being completely honest, I maybe wasn't excited about pulling fence out when you decided we needed to do it right at two o'clock in the afternoon when it was hottest or maybe saying, you know what, Kayla, we're working cows at seven tomorrow. I can definitely remember those times and sometimes when you maybe drug us kids along when we were a little less than happy and had some grumblings, we would want to call it earlier. We had been working a long day and we had other stuff we wanted to go do, so we'd try and skip something. And you would say, well, when are you going to come back and do it right? And I remember the first time you said that to me, I didn't really understand it. And you said, Kayla, if you don't have time to do it correctly now, when will you? Can you talk about where that came from? Yes. Um, one of the things that I found is that people who are successful, a, a disproportionate number of them had a real tie to their to a grandparent or set of grandparents. And I had an, a, a, a strong tie to my maternal grandparents. And my grandpa was a very successful businessman in the insurance business and just a great person. He built the church in his hometown. I mean, literally physically built it, uh, donated a lot of money towards it. He was just a good person and he, he was successful. And, and you know, this ties in, sis, with the, the, the life is simple. One of my other phrases is, and this goes to Dennis Nunn. He's a good friend of mine. And, and Dennis said, you know, life is pretty simple. Just figure out how it works and get on the right side of it. That's it. Stop trying to do the wrong thing. Stop trying to, you know, sometimes we want to stand on the train tracks and go, I think it'll turn. And no, you can stand there all you want to, but the train's going to run over you. <laughs> Don't do that. You know, figure out how life works, get on the right side of it, and and then just do it. And then, you know, with this whole deal, my grand, I can remember my grandpa sitting down because I had some other influences in my life, and they were proposed, they, they wanted to just kind of do things halfway. You know, yeah, that's good enough, or or we'll do that later or, or whatever. And I can remember grandpa set me down when I was nine, 10 years old. And he would always say, Rod, if you don't have the time to do it correctly now, when do you think you'll have the time to do it correctly? Well, the answer is you're never coming back. You know, when you do it halfway that you're going to leave it there and that never serves us. And that's where that came from. And I still subscribe to that theory. Do it right the first time and just be done. Absolutely. I can't remember a time I've ever heard you and mom say, oh, well, that's good enough. <laughs> um, that's kind of not not the motto that our family takes. Um, you also say good and cheap aren't brothers. They're not even cousins. And sometimes you say that in a joking way and you might be making a joke about a particular vehicle brand or something like that. But I think there's a, a hint of seriousness to that where we can apply it to our lives. What do you think? There's a huge seriousness to it. And this goes back to a, a, a great uncle that I had. And uh, Uncle Meredith was an eye surgeon. He was tremendously successful. And where that came from, I was, I was writing down, I was about 1975, 74, 75. And I'm writing down Grand Avenue in Des Moines, Iowa. And my uncle, who was an eye surgeon, tremendously successful in a brand new Lincoln Continental. Now, understand in 1974 or 5, I was just a broke farm kid. I mean, we were, yep. we were pretty poor. You know, we didn't have much. And I'm riding this brand new Lincoln Continental. It had air conditioning. We didn't have anything with air conditioning. It had leather seats. I didn't, the only leather I knew was still on the cow. Class. You know, yeah. And so, uh, I mean, we couldn't even buy leather work gloves, let alone that. So, uh, Uncle Meredith, we were having a discussion and he reached over and he touched me on the left arm. And I'll never forget, he said, Rod, only the rich 
can afford to buy cheap things, and I'm not rich enough. This was the richest man that I knew by far, by far, okay? And I thought, man, if Uncle Meredith can't afford to buy cheap things, how can I? And sis, how many times do we go to town, we're looking for something, we pick them up, and there's one that's expensive and one that's dirt cheap, and we gravitate and we buy the cheap one. And then it breaks and we throw it away, and then we go back and we buy the good one. All we did was make the good one more expensive, and so I do believe that good and cheap, they ain't brothers. They ain't even cousins. And if we will subscribe to that and always buy the quality, you whine about the price once, you whine about the quality forever. Yep. I'd rather whine about the price one time and get the good one and be done. That's how that came to be. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of the same thing. You just do it right the first time. Yep. And it's it's interesting how so much of this all ties together. We were actually... Um, had the opportunity to be at a meeting together and we were in a room full of great people and that was so great to be in Kansas City with a lot of our uh, future farmers that are really going to pave the way here in the next couple years for meeting our production needs. And one of them asked you a question about a particular brand that they were thinking about going with and we won't go into details on that. But you looked at them and you said, yeah, you can do that. But don't let fear or common sense get in the way. And you said it with a laugh, and I don't think that was quite the answer that they wanted to that. But um, I think everyone in the room could agree that that was the right response to that. How did you come to that conclusion? That story actually came about uh, my brother had a guy working for him. He had a group of people working for him. And this one guy was not from there, so he was kind of the outsider, but he was really tough. And uh, a group of three younger gentlemen about 16 years old, thinking they were all of that in a bag of chips and pretty tough. They said, we're going to come over there and whip you, hillbilly. <laughs> and he turned around in a real gruff voice, and he said, don't let fear or common sense get in your way. <laughs> you know. And I thought it was hilarious. And in case you're wondering, the three young punks back down and shut up like young punks always do. But it applies to everything. Because the fact of the matter is, sometimes we tend to rush in, you know, and and... And we don't let common sense get in our way. And, and, and common sense is not that common anymore. But we need to make sure that we do let common sense get in the way of our decisions. That we don't, you know, sometimes we know it's the wrong thing. We do it anyway. That Back to that acting impulsively. And it always bites us. Yep. Every single time. I can remember um, throughout the years, there's been several times where there's been miscommunications. And I know that you said, we have to run into the fire and we have to take those head on. And that was definitely a great lesson for all of us. But I can also remember you saying multiple times, I've had my last argument. Can you kind of say how that ties into taking things head on, but not creating an argument? Well, the fact of the matter is, uh, I've never won an argument. I may have at that point in time thought I won the argument. And even if I win the battle, I lose the war. Because if I argue with you and I'm, you and I have a fight, even if I beat you into submission and you come around to my side, you're still bitter about it. And the relationship is dinged and it chips away at it. And that goes back to asking the right question. If I can ask you questions and lead you there, then I can accomplish something. But if all I do is argue with you, and, and right now when I'm talking to a new client, and I talk about it, they want to open an account with us. Mm -hmm. And I tell them, you get five things. And I'm you know, you, you buy factory direct, you get the training, you get a product credit, you get free soil tests or prepaid soil tests or tissue tests. I say number five, and most importantly, you get an unconditional money back guarantee. And it works this way. You attend the two day training. If you say this isn't for you, I'll just give you back your money because I'm 60 years old and I've had my last argument. Life is too short, Kayla, 
to argue. And so while I sit down with you, if you come to me, I'll have a harsh conversation. I'll have that hard talk and I'll tell you what I think can help you or what can make things better. And I will always tell you the truth. But if a client wants to argue with me about production and they're listening to somebody else, and even if their ideas are wrong, I'm not going to argue. I'm going to walk away. Life is too short and we're never going to be able to work together. And sometimes we have relationships where what we need to do is just say, I'm going to love them forever, but this is over. I can't do this anymore because it's a continual argument. I'm not going to do it. And that's where that came from and how we utilize it. Absolutely. Um, And I don't even know if you remember this. It was a while ago and I was actually working on some school stuff and I was pretty frustrated because I had some goals that I was trying to accomplish and I came home all huffy and puffy and I was saying, oh, well, this person didn't do this and it's their job and they should have done this and basically not taking responsibility and placing a lot of blame. And while I think we could both agree that the people I was a little bit frustrated with could have maybe done a few things differently, you kind of did the same thing. You just listened to everything I had to say and then you said, if it is to be, it's up to me. And, you know, like a lot of the conversations that we've talked about where these lessons were learned, that was not exactly what I wanted to hear because, you know, taking responsibility definitely wasn't that fun. But that meant a lot to me. And I know that you and mom have really role modeled that kind of tying back to that working hard thing. Was there something in particular that drove that home for you? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things is that I also say that wasn't on this list, but it's this. Um, In life, you can make one of two things. You can make excuses or you can make money. Or you can say you can make excuses or you can have good relationships. The fact of the matter is until we take personal responsibility, we're in trouble. And that if it is to be, it's up to me. I actually came as a young man right out of high school. I read a book by W. Clement Stone, the founder of Combined Insurance Company of America. I actually worked for them for a while, and it was a tremendous training for me and really helped me on my journey of personal development and self-help. But that was one of his tenets. It hung in the offices that I was in. They embraced it. They talked about it every day, that if it is to be, it's up to me. You know, I got started in this business, and the person that started me wasn't a great deal of help, but that really wasn't supposed to be. The fact of the matter is, if I'm going to succeed, I got to do it. And I can't make excuses. I can't blame the government. I can't blame my wife. I can't blame my the sponsor of my business. It, it has to be me. And so when we accept that and we embrace that, if it is to be, it's up to me. All of life works better and gets easier. Absolutely. And then you're not waiting on anybody else. You can just go and get what you want out of life, which I think is great. And it was great to learn that on that day, even if I wasn't looking forward to it. Kind of wrapping up, when I think back on some of the lessons and things that I heard over the years, when my sister Karen still lived at home, I was in a play and I was really, really frustrated because I felt like I had worked so hard and I had, you know, been doing it for several years. I had tried hard to build relationships and do things the right way. And some of the casting didn't exactly go how I wanted it to. And I came home and I was, again, I came home upset. You're seeing a common theme where all these lessons come (laughs) from. But I came home and I was upset and I was talking to Karen and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to quit. I, this isn't worth it. This isn't how it should have worked out. You know, it, it was up to me and I knew that and I did the work and I put in the hours and it still didn't turn out how I wanted. And she said, okay, Kayla, 
but you can't quit today because you never quit on a bad day. She said, go to two more practices. And then if it's not worth it, then you quit, but you never quit on a bad day. And I ended up going to two more practices and then three, and then I finished out. And then the next year when we had another cast member that um, ended up getting sick right before production, I took over their lead role. And that really made me realize, wow, I would have never had that experience if I had quit on that bad day. And so I was so glad that Karen really held me to that. But I know that that's something she learned from you. Was there a certain moment where you taught that to her? It started out as, in our business, it's a husband and wife business, and where it started from originally, and sometimes, you know, it's like your nicknames. You've had a lot of different nicknames, and they (laughs) they morph over time, Yep. you know, and you're everything from Kaya to KJ to to whatever. And, and Gubby I mean, Star. Gubby Star, yeah. <laughs> Gubby, Gubby Star, you know, and Kalatosis. I oh, mean, you've gosh. had a, and, and so those evolve. And this started out as you can't, you, you both can't quit on the same day. Because sometimes when, when you're in business for yourselves, you're really frustrated. And so I make the husband and wife look me in the eye and say they promise they'll never quit on the same day. One of you can quit for that day, but you can't both quit on the same day. And and if you'll embrace it, it'll work better. And then it, it morphed into you can never quit on a bad day, which kind of goes back to the one of they all tie together, sis. Yeah. You know, if it's a good idea today, it'll be a good idea in 72 hours. And that's why Karen knew that. And that's why she said never quit on a – she didn't say you can't quit on a bad day. She just said you can't quit today. Yep. She was going to make you wait three days. And oftentimes when we look at it, it's that's the way it is. And so I encourage someone when life gets hard, when it's when it's frustrating, never quit on a bad day, just wait 72 hours and then decide. You can always quit later. That's kind of where we are. So yeah, that's how that came to be. Absolutely. Kind of wrapping up here, we went through a lot and there's, I mean, there's a whole list of other things that we could go through, but winding down here, if there was one thing that you felt summarized all of this that you could say would tie it all together, what would that be? That's an interesting question. And I guess for me, it's just about a life view. The one thing that ties it all together is a life view. And and it, it's, are things going to be better? You know, I, I, I know people, Kayla, who truly, people who are 50 years old, they still wear their letter jacket. And there's nothing wrong with a letter jacket. And But here's what I believe is wrong. If I believe my greatest day is behind me, I'm not even sure why I stick around. Again, it's kind of one of the political views. They believe that our greatest day is behind us. You see, Kayla, I believe you're having a great time, and this senior year for you in high school is going to be fantastic. But I believe your greatest days are way out in front of you, that tomorrow is always going to be better than today. And it's that worldview that says, I'm going to do it right, and because I'm going to do it right, I'm going to take personal responsibility, there's always a better day coming. And so for me, what ties it all together is eternal optimism. And that's what we've got to do if we're going to be, let's be honest, we're a lot more fun to be around if we're an optimist instead of a pessimist. (laughs) And so that has a lot to do with with our deal. But tomorrow is always going to be better. And that pretty much ties it all together for me. Well, I'm not even going to try and follow that up. Um, I think that kind of sums everything up. Thank you, Dad, for taking a little bit out of your day to do this. I'm really glad we got to go through some of this together and kind of reminisce on those fun, maybe not so fun times I had growing up and how I learned all of these lessons. So thank you for being here. And we know that your guys' best days are ahead of you and we look forward to the future. 
Thank you for joining us this week on the A Better Way to Farm podcast. If you found value in this episode, we would appreciate you rating us on iTunes or simply sharing with a friend. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and tune in next time for serious secrets about profitable farming.